We come to this evening to focus on the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ. This service, this day in particular, we're focusing on his sacrifice for sin. The cross is to be central in the life of every believer. But if you think about it carefully, that's kind of a strange thing to make central to our lives. When you meditate on how the cross is viewed in the first century, this is a rather abnormal thing to place our minds upon over and over again. The cross was seen as an instrument of torture and cruelty. It was a sign to the Jews of their foreign oppression. It was one of the cruelest means in all of human history. Not only to execute, but to humiliate and demoralize your enemies. The condemned were almost always crucified naked to heighten their shame. And this form of execution was usually carried out near the city's garbage dump. Crucifixion was truly a most terrible way to die. There's almost no way to exaggerate its brutality. Even the cruel, ruthless Roman government reserved crucifixion for the lowest social classes. It was for slaves and insurrectionists and rebels A Roman citizen could be beheaded for a capital crime, but he could never be crucified. Being nailed to the cross meant incredibly great pain, but this minimized blood loss. Therefore, death in this way sometimes took days. It was lingering, agonizing torture. Some of the fastest recorded deaths by crucifixion were after 36 hours. The cross was so distasteful that Cicero said it should never be mentioned in polite company. To the Jews, theologically, it was a sign of the curse of God. It was a breathtakingly humiliating way to die. And yet, in light of these historic realities about the nature of crucifixion, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, knowing the horrific nature of the Roman cross and Jesus' own personal suffering in this manner, why is this the primary focus of Paul's life And ministry? Well, the answer is that the cross has the unique ability to show us in all its horror a clear picture of the nature of sin and the goodness of God. We see in the cross first the incredible debt of the sinner. Why would God send his own son to the cross for sin he didn't commit? He had to suffer infinite pains to atone for an infinite weight of sin to express the triune God's infinite hatred of sin. The cross shows us just how terrible your sin is and my sin is. It shows us how God views it. 
If we would understand the significance of the cross, we must start with the holiness of God. We must start with his settled opposition against it in all of his creation. He is determined to deal with it. He must deal with it. Something had to be done about sin. When we think about the love and mercy of God towards sinners, we must never separate these attributes from God's justice and wrath. You see, a holy God, a truly just and righteous God, can never just sweep away our sin. Can never just say, okay, I'm just not going to talk about it anymore, or deal with it, or, or look at it. He can't just put it away and not treat it justly. He cannot refuse to address it and remain a holy, just, righteous God. The question over top of all of the Bible is how can a holy God forgive sin and not compromise his justice? Someone had to die for sin. Its just payment is death, the Bible tells us. Only by the shedding of blood can there be forgiveness of sin. God pointed at this from the very beginning of the Bible when we see Cain and Abel are to make sacrifices. It's seen in the Old Testament sacrifices. The Bible is a bloody book. But in this we see that a substitute, a substitute could take the place of the sinner. God was pointing forward. To his final sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What we learn then about our God is that he is not true to himself unless he punishes sin. And unless one knows and feels the truth of this fact, that wrongdoer, the wrongdoers have no natural hope of anything from God but judgment. Wrongdoers can never share the promise of eternal life without God's wrath being poured out on sin. God is absolutely just. Every single sin must be and will be punished according to what it deserves. There can be no exceptions. The cross is so important to Paul because it shows us that our sin must be paid for. Our sin is that great barrier that separates us from God. It is our greatest problem. So the cross shows me first my need. But secondly, it reveals the overwhelming mercy of God. You see, only God could devise a plan that would satisfy his justice. We would not know how to do that. Only God could know what would appease his just wrath towards sin without destroying the sinner. Only he could determine how his hatred of sin and his inflexible justice could be satisfied. So Paul writes in Romans 5, 6 and following, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled or brought back to him through the death of his son. 
Just picture what Paul is saying here in these verses. You know, in a movie or in a wartime story, we hear of heroes. We hear of a man who might willingly give up his life to save the lives of his fellow soldiers or his family. You may hear of a soldier who throws himself on top of a grenade, taking the deadly blast into his own body to spare the lives of his friends. But Paul's explaining here that you would never expect to hear of someone diving on top of a grenade for his enemies. You don't hear of someone who spares their lives by giving up his own. And yet, Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies that they might be reconciled to God. Theologian J.I. Packer wrote, It is staggering that God should love sinners, yet it is true. God loves creatures who have become unlovely, and one likely would have concluded unlovable. There was nothing whatever in the objects of his love to call it forth. Nothing in us could attract or prompt it. God loves people because he has chosen to love them. And no reason for his love can be given except his own sovereign good pleasure. Think of it. Thousands of people died at the hands of the Roman government on a cross. But only one was the object of the full wrath of God at the same time. Only against the backdrop of our sin and its deserved consequences can we understand his love for us. The cross can be seen as proof of God's love only when it is at the same time seen as proof of his holy justice. He's resolute in his love, pursuing those who deserve his sacrifice least. In the cross, we see God the Father provided a substitute, Jesus Christ, in order to rescue you from his just wrath. You had to be saved from God, from his wrath on your sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, you will never know God as Father except by Jesus Christ. And in particular, by his death upon the cross, look there, gaze, meditate, survey the wondrous cross, and then you will see something of him. Why the cross? Because the cross uniquely reveals our need. It uniquely reveals to us the incredible, undeserved mercy of God. So finally, what response does Christ's sacrifice then demand of us? We see the appropriate eternal response. The cross demands humility and repentance and faith from us. It elicits, it pulls out of us gratitude and joy and love and worship as we recognize all that he gave that we might be rescued, redeemed, saved for all eternity in spite of who we are. The cross has the unique ability to allow you to be completely honest, to be radically honest about the nature of your heart, about ju- how just, uh, just how dark and twisted and sinful your heart truly is. Do you see that? You can say everything God says about you at the cross. He's willing to forgive any sin. No sinner is beyond his pardon. The gospel frees us to look at our human condition and leave that old nature at the cross. 
And at the same time, it tells me that I am more loved and accepted by God than I can ever imagine. I'm not valuable in this life to God or others because of my accomplishments, my personalities, my gifts, my intellect. My value comes from a God who formed me and saved me for his glory alone. Therefore, I am to live for him. Paul applies it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels, it draws me forward. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them. Do you see Paul's argument of the cross? It tells you, you must, you must, you must live for him. Tonight Christ's cross calls us to recognize and admit and turn from our sin. It urges us to wonder at his amazing grace. It provokes within us joy and the worship of our God. For he brought salvation out of the most horrific moment in all of human history. Through all eternity, we will contemplate the killing of the Son of God and sing, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. So Paul writes, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul tells us in this verse, the cross is the place where we come to know Jesus. It's the door through which we enter into a relationship with the very God of heaven. It shows us our need and his gracious provision. You can know this God. Believer, you can know This God, unbeliever, he's made a relationship with him possible through the cross. How will you respond this evening? We've provided for you on the back of your bulletin a written prayer of personal confession that can serve as a guide to you as as you identify your need as confessed here tonight as we look at the cross We're going to take several moments of silence at this time as the deacons prepare for communion, as you quiet your heart before him and turn to him again in repentance.